Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, and welcome back to Wholehearted Eating. On today's episode, we are doing a TikTok nutrition trends takedown with Claire Tuning, who is a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yours truly nutrition. We're chatting about the top TikTok nutrition trends that need to die, nutrition advice, quote unquote, that is actually disordered eating behaviors, which are strongly encouraged or labeled as healthy, and how to know whether or not you are ready to incorporate gentle nutrition in your healing journey in a non-perfectionist way. Claire, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to dig into like some TikTok stuff, some trendy stuff, intuitive eating, all of the things. So I want to start with, because I know a lot of our listeners here are not necessarily on TikTok or maybe they're not in the nutrition side of TikTok. Like just give us like the general lay of the land. Like what is it like being in the nutrition space on TikTok, especially as a creator? Let me tell you, it is, it is a wild place. (laughs) TikTok is, it is a wild space to be in because I mean, where else can you be scrolling and see a recipe video and then be hit with a dog video 10 seconds later? I mean, it's a, it's a great place to be, but it's kind of tricky sometimes being on the nutrition side of TikTok as you're referring to, because there are a large number of amazing creators out there who are qualified to be talking about nutrition. I'm talking about dietitians or um, therapists even who are maybe eating disorder trained or certified intuitive eating counselors. I am so grateful that more professionals have found nutrition TikTok. So it's a great place to learn. And at the same time, dare I say, there are many, many more people who are giving advice on the platform who do not know what they are talking about, who are maybe speaking from their personal experience, but they don't necessarily realize that their personal experience doesn't qualify them to be offering advice to other people. And then there's just people out there who are taking nutrition facts, heavy air quotes, and they are really misrepresenting the research. They're spewing misinformation. And because here, here's the the kicker of it all, but because (laughs) that information is so much flashier and more attention grabby than what the dietitians are talking about, we're over here, like stay hydrated, eat a variety of foods. You're not bad if you eat a cookie, like all these things. (laughs) And they're over here, like the seven things you should never eat. It's like so much more attention grabby. And because of that, that is the information that people often latch onto. And because of that, the algorithm promotes it. So that information grows and grows. So even though it is so fun to be on this platform and to educate, it can be frustrating as well to feel like we have to put out so many fires, metaphorically speaking, and bust all of those myths. So that's kind of the 
the lay of the land as it stands now. Yeah. I mean, I I think you probably feel the same way. I definitely have like a love-hate relationship with TikTok. Like I'm only on there as a consumer, which actually from a business owner perspective is so nice because I have put so much into Instagram for so long. It's like, wow, what's it like being on a social media platform that you only have to consume and not create, right? At yeah. the same time, I definitely have some regrets about like, but maybe I should have been on there earlier. But you know, that happens with every new thing that comes up. But it's also so hard because the way that the algorithm on TikTok works is like once you start liking things, they're going to show you more of that stuff. So if you start to like things that are like top seven things that you should never be doing for fat loss or whatever, it's going to reinforce that by showing more and more of that. And you'll see like body transformation pictures or videos or, you know, and of course, all the like trending sounds that as soon as you click on one, it's like, oh, I wonder what other people are saying about this. It's just more of the same kind of sensationalized nutrition advice that either isn't evidence-based or isn't sound or it's really not the best thing for you to be hearing right now as a consumer because depending on where you are with like clinical symptoms your relationship with food health history like it can be really damaging to go down a lot of those rabbit holes mm -hmm. yeah I think um what you just said too about maybe coming across a piece of content that isn't right for you in this moment. I see that happening a lot, especially with creators who are maybe taking a little bit more of a numbers-based nutrition approach. So say dietitians, for example, who are creating great factual content, but they're talking about something that is more calorie-based or something like macro tracking or weight loss, right? I am here to say to all the creators, especially if you are you know, qualified to create this content, create the content that speaks to your audience. There is nothing inherently evil or inherently bad about educating on the topic of calories, right? Or macro tracking. But at the same time, there are so many people on this platform who have been harmed by an approach like that, or they've maybe used a calorie tracking device that has had a really negative impact in their relationship with food. And it's kind of tricky, right? Because there's not a whole lot we can do, even though the algorithm will learn what you like and it'll serve you more of that information. When you log on to TikTok, you are not in full control of what shows up and what content you see and you know what you're you're subjected to. So it can be this really slippery slope of maybe you're following providers who create good content and they're educated, but they could be talking about something that doesn't quite fit with where you are, or maybe you're trying to take the focus off of numbers associated with food or take the focus off of weight. And if content is popping up, that's talking about that, even if it's in a factual way, it can kind of lead you down a route that you don't want to be. So, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, one of your favorite, um, my favorite episodes of your podcast that you've done is like a TikTok nutrition trend takedown. So, and this is one of my favorite things to do with clients in terms of they'll bring me a question be like, oh, what do you think about, you know, the carnivore diet? Or like, what do you think about like nature cereal? Or, you know, what do you think about all these other things? <laughs> yeah. Which if people don't know, I'm sure we'll get into that one. But what are you, in your opinion, what do you think are some of the top TikTok nutrition trends that either need to die right now or like as long as you've been on there, what do you think are some of the worst offenders? 
Man. So the, the episode that you were talking about, I believe I put out in the summer and you may have listened to it more recently than I have. I'm trying to remember (laughs) as you're talking through some of these, which ones that I covered. Um, I think nature cereal was one of those. I'm trying to think of, there was another one though, that was way more annoying and harmful. I don't know if you can, I'm having trouble remembering off the top of my head. We can talk, one of them was like liquid chlorophyll. I remember that. Um, But one, this is a trend that will not die. And there's a lot of controversy around it because some people are like, but it helps me to get ideas or I like looking at recipes. And what I'm referring to is the what I eat in a day trend as you roll your eyes, (laughs) right? I, I figured I would get that reaction from you. And again, I'll echo what I said earlier. There is nothing inherently wrong with wanting to share something that you enjoy or something that you ate today that was fun or was really satisfying. And some individuals might find that and use it as a resource for ideas. Like I've never thought of pairing those foods or, wow, you know, I've seen some individuals who have a platform and they are uh, recovered or in recovery from an eating disorder. And they are hoping to use those videos to really showcase what an all foods fit approach looks like, right? They want to show that there can be vegetables and there can be fried foods and food from boxes and food from the ground. So I see the potential benefit of some of these videos. And (laughs) at the same time, I also see a lot of potential for negativity and the potential for comparison with these videos. The reason why I personally will never post one of these videos. I might share some things here and there, like a fun combo, you know, things like that. But the reason why I will never share one of these full videos is because A, how I eat as a person has no relevance to how you eat or how any of our listeners eat because my preferences, my energy needs, what I have access to might be different from all of those of someone else. Also, these create a lot of points for comparison in your eating, whereas maybe you're looking at someone's video and you're thinking, well, oh my gosh, they ate so many more colors today or, oh, they're eating organic and I don't do that. What does that say about me? Or, oh, their dinner looks so perfect. There's so many vegetable, all these things. And I had to get something that didn't look like that. Does that mean I'm a bad person or I'm not being healthy, right? It it opens up the opportunity to place so many questions and judgments in our food choices that would not be there if we didn't have access to seeing what thousands of people ate today. And that, that's like a, a larger conversation in and of itself. It's something that I've been thinking about recently and hearing about, you know, our brains really aren't equipped to have access to thousands, if not millions of people on a daily basis. Like it's not natural for us to be seeing snippets of people's lives in this way, especially when it comes to food, because there's so much comparison there. But that's one thing that I'm hoping, hoping will become less popular, but it doesn't look that way, at least as of now. Yeah, I mean, people love the what I eat in a day videos, right? And I remember like being in college or maybe even in high school back when blogging was popular in the stone (laughs) age, right? And people would be like, oh, this is what I'm eating in a day, whatever. And like you said, this can be an example of, you know, like, oh, wow, like this person eats like 
let's let's go back to the assumption of like what you eat plus how you exercise equals body size, right? Like classic, not what we agree with at all on this podcast, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of assumptions that go behind that, right? So back in the day when people are like, okay, I mean, <laughs> speaking of these quote, nutrition and fitness experts that really don't have the credentials to be telling people what they should be eating or how they should be eating. It was a lot of like, my body is my business card. So if you eat like me and work out like me, you will look like me, even though, hello, science, we know it doesn't work that way, right? But I think this is where a lot of the what I eat in a day videos or blog posts or Instagram posts, TikTok, whatever, this is where a lot of that came from because there used to be a lot more of that of, oh, if you eat like me and you work out like me, you'll look like me, right? Like body goals and all that stuff. Now, like you said, there is a flip side to that of people who are, for example, like in eating disorder recovery and they're like, yeah, I actually eat all of these things. Or for example, like I specialize in gut health. If someone was like, okay, well, I've got this and like, I don't know what to eat because I'm so bloated all the time, that might be helpful in the sense of like, oh, wow, this person who has a lot of similar symptoms to me can eat all of these things symptom free, right? That might be freeing for you, but there is such a huge potential for comparison and, oh, I should be eating this way or I shouldn't be eating this way or, oh, if I want to look like that person, this is exactly how I need to eat. And if I just follow their food and exercise plan, then I'll look like them. But again, we know that the body is much more complicated than a simple math equation and genetics Mm -hmm. and hormones and all these other things. And that's not the way that it works. So overall, unfortunately, probably not going to be going anywhere. Yeah. It's all about the cost and benefit of it all, right? Like with a lot of things, we could identify the positives or the potential for a great outcome, right? But also, especially when it comes to what I eat in the day videos, I see that the costs or the downsides of that are very high. And I, I think it all comes back to the the person watching, right? Maybe who we're speaking to right now. Um, if you are constantly seeing content that is leaving you feeling unhappy about your body, maybe questioning your food choices, really unhappy and unsatisfied in your relationship with food, maybe that's an indication that you need to do a little detox of the feed. I always tell my clients the only detox (laughs) I'm ever going to prescribe or recommend is detoxing of the social feeds. And I know that's a little tricky when it comes to a platform like TikTok, because on the following page, you have full say over who is there and what content pops up. But on the For You page, it is a wild ride, like I said earlier. So um, just knowing that if you're choosing to go on a social platform, that there might be content that is not helpful, but you have permission to unfollow, silence, mute, all of the above. I know that is not a hot take, but I wanted to, to plug that in here. I mean, even though it's not a hot take, it is so helpful to hear that. Even if somebody heard it every day, like it's really good reinforcement of if you're constantly engaging with something that isn't serving you or is pushing you in a direction of, oh, I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing this. You already are dealing with, like you said, an influx of crazy amounts of information every day. And even without that, most people who are listening to this podcast are already having a lot of trouble making decisions around food because there are so many different inputs, even just internally, let alone externally. So hot take, not a hot take. Also agree with the digital (laughs) detox. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's what I say. The only detox you will ever need, but we can still give a plug for it here. Yes, exactly. So, okay, speaking of nutrition trends that can either encourage disordered eating in certain people or are actually disordered eating behaviors that are encouraged or labeled as healthy, let's talk about more of some of the biggest offenders that you see in that realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see some of the videos and this could kind of go into a, a, what I eat in a day in a way, but I don't know if you've seen these, it's like, um, hot girl routine or like being that girl in the morning. Oh, right? and I've seen some of those at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yep. And this really goes into, it touches on food, but it extends beyond food where it presents this layout of a day and what, productivity or what health in a way should look like, right? There's usually some very aesthetic bedroom. They're waking up in the wee hours of the morning. There's always drinking water, which I, I can get on board with. <laughs> we, we love a hydrated human specifically in the morning, um, but they're waking up early. Usually there's some form of movement. There's like a green juice, all of these things. And it, it kind of ties in with what you were saying of portraying the idea of health looking a very certain way, or if you engage in these exact behaviors, if you wake up at this time, if you work out in this way, you will look this way. Mm -hmm. And like you have said, that is not how bodies work. I tell my clients often that you and someone else could eat the same exact foods in the same amounts. You can move your body in the same way. You could rest in the same way and you would still be two entirely different people. Body diversity is intentional, but these videos don't really leave space for that, right? So they're representing this way of living or they're portraying this idea of health that isn't necessary. It's not necessary to do all of these things. It's not accessible as well. And it can really lead people down the rabbit hole again of shaming their behaviors or what they're doing to stay alive and to survive. Right. So, um, I think my, my recommendation or my advice, if anyone is seeing these videos is representing a very narrow window of what health looks like to spend a little bit of time thinking about what does health mean for you? Knowing that yes, there can be a physical component there of how you feel, there can be an, an eating and a movement component. We all have to eat every single day. So that's going to be a part of it. Um, movement that's accessible for you, but we have to also remember there are many dimensions of health that extend beyond physical, right? What's going on in your mental health. Are these videos representing what the person's mental health is like? Probably not. There might be like a little journaling practice there because that's aesthetic to include in a video, (laughs) right? But it's not a true representation of what's going on internally. There can be an intellectual health realm. Like, I don't know, do you like to read? Do you feel like you're challenged? Are you learning, right? There can be an emotional, a spiritual health realm, all of these things. So I think especially, you know, at the top of the year, we're recording this in January. I'm not sure when it's going to come out, but we often can look to these social platforms for ideas on how our health journey should look this year. And if you're only seeing those types of videos and you're feeling bad about yourself or you haven't been able to maintain that girl routine (laughs) or whatever it is, it is okay because your definition of health might be different from that person. So that's not an exact trend, but I, it's what comes to mind. Yeah. Well, so 
I call that, or I like to call that the kind of wellness productivity checklist, right? Uh, Whereas uh what those people are not showing you, you know, in addition to like the mental health, intellectual health, all of those other aspects is like, what happens to them if they don't do one aspect of that routine? Like, are they still okay, right? What they're also not showing is, and some people might be, okay, we're not saying everybody, like nobody jump all over me, which like listeners, you guys will not jump all over me, but a lot of people will use those types of like wellness productivity checklist routines or something as a way to not feel the really hard mental health feelings that they're going through or as a coping skill, right? And so we're obviously not faulting them for that. But what we're saying is you don't want to compare yourself to this one single solitary way of what health could look like, especially because it doesn't portray all of the aspects of health. My other major gripe with these things is because many of these women that I've seen doing these videos are like very young 20s and living in these like expensive ass apartments with like super aesthetic kitchens and stuff. And I was like, how the hell are you affording a place that looks like this when you're in your early 20s? Like what job are you in? And like what field did I not get into to get that apartment? Like what? (laughs) In this pandemic? In this again, in these conditions, no, very, very well put because I, I think the same thing is all of these videos come with that specific aesthetic that is expensive, Mm -hmm. right? And that, that doesn't really, that doesn't equal health, right? That doesn't equal happiness. It equals something that looks good. It equals privilege is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. It equals privilege. It equals, oh, that looks pretty, but that doesn't always equate to health. Yes. Or happy or insert word here. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off there, but I had to jump in. <laughs> nope, you did not cut me off at all. I totally agree. It's just, it's really funny because you can kind of tell, um, you know, where you are in terms of relating to these videos when you look at the things that like make you feel like, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's the thing that makes me feel, uh, you know, I'm not like, oh my God, I need to drink water. Oh my God, I need to eat like them. Oh my God, I need to drink green juice. Oh my God, I need to wake up at 5.30. I've seen one where it's this one girl who she wakes up at like, you know, five or something and she like runs her dishwasher every morning and she does a workout and people are in the comments like, you run your dishwasher every morning? Like I barely get up before my first Zoom call starts. Like, what are you talking about? You know, so at least the comment sections are pretty funny. Um, But another kind of like trend that I want to dig into and talk about why this in particular could be problematic, right? Just like the what I eat in a day videos isn't always problematic, but depending on where you are, could be. You'll understand the disclaimer when I get there. So I want to talk about the feeling the need to make like healthy swaps, quote unquote, in every fun recipe and why that can be a little, you know, like light bulb or indicator that not everything is as healthy as it seems. It's funny you bring this up because after you asked me the last question, I was going through this list in my mind. I was like, I could bring that up. Maybe we'll get to that later. So (laughs) we are on the same wavelength, my friend. But yes, I made an Instagram post uh, last week, couple of days ago, all the content runs together, as you know, but I made a post, uh, that was titled behaviors that are mislabeled as healthy that often come from a disordered place. And the thing at the top of this list was some iteration of what you just said, a feeling obligated to make quote unquote, healthy swaps in every fun recipe. I will echo your disclaimer 
in that this is not always coming from a disordered place. I sometimes work with clients who have food allergies or even autoimmune conditions, take celiac disease, for example. And of course, those individuals are going to be altering recipes to make them safe for their consumption. So we are not talking about those people, (laughs) but we are talking about the individuals who get grandma's cookie recipe circa like 1907. I don't know. (laughs) Do they make cookies back then? I wasn't around, but they get grandma's cookies recipe, of course, which has white sugar and white flour and butter, eggs, chocolate chips, all of the above. And they start immediately thinking, how am I going to healthify this? Should I use coconut sugar? (laughs) Question mark. Should I use whole wheat flour? And I will also say there will probably be some times when you want to experiment and explore a different take on a recipe, or even from a food science perspective, this is where my real inner nerd will come out. It's (laughs) like, when I use this type of sugar, what other ingredients do I need to add so it's not as dry, Mm -hmm. right? Like it can be interesting sometimes from a science perspective, but if you are feeling obligated, like I, I feel like I cannot have cookies made with white sugar because this random TikTok doctor question mark (laughs) said it was bad or they said x y and z is going to happen to me and you've lost that sense of flexibility with eating or fun with food and this becomes a pattern that is indicative of some disordered eating territory it is fine to have preferences but when you feel like you cannot be flexible and include foods that are fun and highly palatable because of x y z fear-mongering health reason, that's where we want to get curious and start to ask some questions there. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with like, oh, I want to make some banana bread. Ooh, I wonder what it would be like if we added some almond flour or if we added some oats Mm -hmm. or whatever. Because flavor-wise, those sound pretty good, right? Or maybe it's Mm -hmm. a food science thing of like, okay, if I add this much oats, do I need to cut back on or add, for example, probably more liquid, right? Because the oats are going to soak up something, right? But the problem becomes if you start to draw or go into the territory of like, um, I can only eat banana bread if it has some more healthy ingredients, right? I can't eat banana bread if I only use white sugar and brown sugar, like have to use coconut sugar, or I have to use like a sugar substitute, or I can only do it if I add some fiber by adding oatmeal in there um, or oats or something. 100% on the same page with you. Yeah. Something that comes to mind, like in this category is the idea of everything has to be high protein or else it's bad. Yeah. yeah, There Mm -hmm. there it is. Um, We see this specifically with cookies or there is one actually, actually a specific video that comes to mind. This woman who is some sort of health coach was making some sort of video and she was making a mug cake, right? Anybody who does know what a mug cake is, it's just a single serving cake you make in a mug. They're actually pretty fun. They're really <laughs> fun. Can be, yeah. <laughs> but she, she led into this with, you know, do you ever have a, a craving late at night, a sweet craving and you want to be good, or I don't want to twist her words, but it's like, you want to be good or you want to have something lower calorie. She's like, well, then I have the solution for you. And of course, anyone who has seen any healthified TikTok video knows where this is going. She whipped out a giant tub of protein powder bigger than her whole body, (laughs) right? Uh, So she proceeds to add protein powder to this cake and going on and on. And like we've said before, 
if this is a preference, if you like this, if you are maybe like recovering from a surgery and your protein needs are significantly increased as told to you by your doctor or your dietitian, yeah, it can be a great opportunity to supplement and get in some more protein. At the same time though, cakes and cookies were never meant to be a huge source of protein, <laughs> nor should they be really like they'll have a, a little bit in there with the, the eggs and the flour and all of that, but not everything you eat has to be high in protein. There are other ways throughout your day that you can get in the macronutrient protein, right? Like, you know, you can put milk in your cereal. Hello, protein. <laughs> you can have a cheese stick. Hello, protein. You can, whatever it might be, right? So uh, I really like to bring that into the conversation because so many people are under this impression that everything has to be high protein this and high protein that. It's almost like protein is the macronutrient that has never been demonized by any diet. It sits on this pedestal. And although it is an important macronutrient and we do need protein every single day, not every delicious sweet treat or food that we eat has to be high in it because we can get it in other ways that are probably going to be more enjoyable than having to insert it into every cookie or mug cake recipe. Agreed. I mean, that's very, very popular, especially like in the, you know, the sports nutrition world, the bodybuilding yeah. world, like the gym world in general. And we could go down a rabbit hole there of like, you know, people who train in the gym who look a certain way and they're just like, well, because I have this body, I am now qualified to tell people how to eat. Like I find this is where a lot of the like protein mug cake recipes kind of come from, you know, uh -huh. it's just like oh, drives me crazy. Oh, oh yes, we can, we could, that could be a whole rabbit hole discussion. That for could sure. be six podcast episodes if <laughs> we really wanted it to be. Um, but so speaking of like sweet things and fun foods and everything like that, I want to change directions a little bit and dip into the more like intuitive eating, gentle nutrition part of things that you do, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say, set the scene, people have been in the like eat all the things phase in their non-diet leaning towards intuitive eating journey for a while and so they're like working on con unconditional permission to eat all foods and they're like in the like finally i'm allowed to eat all of the things without restrictions and everything but they're getting to the point where they're like okay i'm there mentally and emotionally but physically this is starting to not feel great in my body because natural reaction to have dieted dieted for however long they did they're probably not eating a ton of things that make them feel awesome from the inside mm -hmm. out, right? So say they're ready or they think they're ready <laughs> to incorporate more gentle nutrition, but they aren't sure how to do that in a non-perfectionist way. How do you guide them through that process? I love this question, especially the part that you pointed out, they're ready and then you paused and you said, or at least they think they're ready. <laughs> and this is a conversation that I will have with my one-on-one -on -one clients and my, my course participants as well, trying to help them decide, are we ready to take the conversation there? And I want to be clear that, you know, gentle nutrition, or I think that the full principle is named honor your health through gentle nutrition. It is the 10th and final principle of intuitive eating. That said, though, I, I never want this to feel like we're dangling the carrot in 
in front of the horse. Like you can't touch this yet. You're not allowed. Like I've gotten feedback from some people within the intuitive eating framework that they feel like gentle nutrition is withheld in a way where there's some mystery about it, or they feel like they're never allowed to learn about it. And that's not the case, at least in my work with my clients, I feel like there is a little bit of gentle nutrition sprinkled throughout all of the principles, right? In some earlier phases, I might talk to my clients about the concept of staying power with food. And this is pretty much for anyone listening who's not familiar with that term. It's a fancy way of saying the ability of food to keep you fueled for a longer period of time. So, you know, part of the unconditional permission to eat might be a client comes to me and they say, I'm eating all of these things and I'm working on permission, but I'm never feeling full or I'm always thinking about food. And maybe that's because they're not including any foods with staying power. You know, these are going to be things that are higher in protein, higher in fat fiber. So we might talk about it a little bit then. So this is my long winded way of saying there are some concepts within gentle nutrition that we do want to reserve until we feel like we have a fairly neutral relationship with food where we're not moralizing food anymore. We're not calling it good, bad, clean, dirty, where we're eating a variety of foods and we have permission there. There's some of that that we will reserve, but I never want anyone to feel like, la la la, I'm not allowed to hear it, like (laughs) plugging my ears until I reach this point. Um, But that said, kind of getting to your question of when might someone be ready? Some things that I'm typically looking for in clients to give us permission to fully go there, to start exploring nutrition is like I said, are they eating enough? First and foremost, are, have we moved away from using words like good, bad? Are we no longer having a guilt response for eating one food over the other? Have we released shoulds around our eating? Um, Are we working towards body respect? You know, have we even talked about body image and movement and all of these things? And once the answer is yes, or we have a firm foundation or we're working on it, then we start talking about gentle nutrition and the way that I describe this to people is it's a way of learning about the science of nutrition to help us make informed choices about food, to help us eat in a way that aligns with how we'd like to feel, not to guilt us into eating a certain way. Because how often, I know I used to do this <laughs> as you know a nutrition student, as someone learning about nutrition, but how often is nutrition weaponized in a way, or is it held as, you know, the holy grail of being a good eater? You have to eat in this perfect nutritionally dense way. Um, I don't want anyone to ever feel that that's what gentle nutrition is. It's a way of understanding how food works in the body. It's a way of, you know, putting together meals and snacks again, that aligns with how we want to feel. And it's a way too of thinking about the word carbohydrate or protein or fat based on the scientific meaning of that word, not like, oh, that's bad. Or, oh, I should go keto and cut out carbs. Um, does that kind of answer your question? We can go deeper, of course. But. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I love that you say that because I also use the like evidence-based nutrition in the same way, right? And another way that I love to use it is to help people unlearn the morality around food that comes from diet culture right when people are like oh like i should be cutting out carbohydrates because yada yada it's like okay well let's think about what carbohydrates actually 
are and what they do in the body and why you need them and why, you know, depending on the different seasons of your life, you might need more of them, right? For So for mm-hmm. example, if you are trying to or currently pregnant or breastfeeding or you're an athlete or you're going through a really stressful time or you're recovering from an injury or you're sick, right? Like so many of these different things. And then you can go into, okay, well, this is why this is actually really important. They're like, wait a minute. So maybe the reason I've been so low energy for a long time is because I'm not eating enough carbohydrates. Like, yeah, that could definitely be part of it, right? So instead of like you, I love the term that you said, like weaponizing nutrition to where it becomes like a perfectionist all or nothing mentality. And this like moral judgment on how good you are as a human or like how clean you can eat, right? It's using that evidence-based neutral nutrition to show like, no, 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 like this is a way that we can work on satiety, on staying power, on helping you heal from your chronic illness or something. But the only way that we can use nutrition in that way is if you do approach it from the opposite of an all or nothing mentality, right? So if Mm -hmm. someone is saying that they're doing gentle nutrition, they're like, but actually you should be cutting out all these foods or actually you should only be eating this or there's something that you should be doing all of the time it's probably not true gentle nutrition, right? Unless, again, it's anaphylaxis or something like celiac disease. Disclaimers all over the place. (laughs) Yep. If it's not that, then it's a red flag. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Red flag. And I I so appreciate how you brought up almost using some of the, the aspects of gentle nutrition to help someone get away from the guilt and shame around food or the shoulding around food. That's how I will describe it as well. The more we understand about food and how your body uses it and why we need all the macronutrients (laughs) and all the food groups, unless you are allergic, right? Or you have an intolerance, then the more we understand about this, the less guilt we're going to have in offering that fuel to our bodies because we understand, oh yeah, carbohydrates are the predominant and preferred source of fuel for my brain and my body makes sense why I need to eat it, eat them (laughs) regularly. Right. Um, and the, the final thing that I I'll say about gentle nutrition here, something that also sets it apart from the diety version of nutrition that we have been referring to is we talk a lot about an add in mentality with gentle nutrition. You're nodding your head aggressively. You're like, (laughs) yes, me too. But the add in mentality is Okay. First of all, when we're putting together a meal, what are you in the mood for? Mm -hmm. And what do you have access to? Maybe the answer to that is like pasta. (laughs) It's like, I have some in the cabinet and it sounds so good. Okay. Pasta. Amazing. We have a carbohydrate, which your body and your brain are going to love. What can we add to that potentially from another food group or another macronutrient category that's going to add another texture, another flavor, potentially more staying power, or even more micronutrients, vitamins, minerals. Maybe the example is, well, I have some leftover chicken that I'd like to add on top. And I have this pasta sauce and, oh yeah, I have some cheese. So what we've done there is we've started with what do I have on hand? What sounds satisfying? And what can I add to that, that brings in other nutrients and more fuel for my body so that I can put together a meal that is satisfying for my taste buds. And it's also going to be fueling for my body. Like that is gentle nutrition and how we use it in a nutshell. 100%. I love that. So let's say people need a little bit of encouragement to stay the course with their food neutrality in the new year, right? What are some affirmations 
that can help people continue to work towards more food neutrality, whether it's affirmations in general or about eating specifically, go wherever you would like to go with that question. (laughs) I have two that are popping into my mind first. So I'll lay these out. And then when we, when we hang up this call, I'll probably think of about seven more. more. (laughs) Start with these two. Um, The first one is this one's related to body trust in a way, but the first one, and there are going to be some exceptions, which I will clarify after, but the first one is my body knows exactly what to do with this food that I'm giving it. The exception would be don't eat something you're allergic to. Your body does not know what to do with that. Um, you know, we don't have to give those disclaimers anymore, but I feel like a lot of the times, especially with all this nutrition fear mongering, there is so much fear and hesitation around eating and fueling. And because of that meal time becomes really stressful. It's like, but this diet told me I shouldn't be eating that. And this person said that's bad. So we lose a lot of body trust in that we forget that your body has been digesting food for energy from the moment you were born. It's good at that. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be here, right? So my body knows what to do with the food that I'm giving it. No, I think that's so important because when we're thinking about body trust, this is a a lack of body trust is one of the things that keeps us firmly, firmly entrenched in dieting, right? It's kind of like this vicious circle of like, we've been told that we shouldn't listen to our body signals because they're going to lead us astray and we're going to gain weight. And that's the worst thing that could ever happen to us. You know, heavy sarcasm here. Um, but then the more that you diet and the more that you rely on external rules and shoulds to dictate what you're eating rather than listening internally, the further and further that you get from that body trust. So I love that first one. My second one came back to me. (laughs) I knew it would. My second one is the only way out is through the food. And what I mean by that is so many people come to me. Usually they're reaching out to someone like me or yourself because they have a relationship with food that is sticky. That's making them not feel so great. That is getting in the way of how they would like to live and how they would like to relate to food. And in the process of healing from that negative relationship with food, we will run into some times where we are tempted is a strong word, but we are tempted to retreat back to old ways, to old diets, to old rules. And the reason why we do this is because they feel safe and they feel familiar. So I want to create a lot of, you know, I want to normalize that. At the same time, though, if we are really looking to change our relationship with food and learn how to coexist peacefully with all foods, the only way we do that with time is by eating and allowing food and sitting with the discomfort that that sometimes brings. If we are always reverting back to restriction or I'm just going to go back on this diet and it's going to be fine, that is going to keep us trapped in the cycle that you've been in, right? If we've always been relating to food in a way that's characterized by restriction or cutting things out, if we keep doing that, we're going to stay in that cycle. In order to break free from that cycle, it's going to need to involve some behaviors around food that maybe we're not used to, and maybe they've been labeled as bad before. But if we stay the course and we eat our way through (laughs) to the other side, we'll find a new way of relating to food that feels a heck of a lot more peaceful and nourishing as well. Boom. Drop the mic and leave. Don't actually leave though. We're not done. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wealth of knowledge and everything. Um, please tell everybody before you go all of the places that they can find you when they would like to seek you out after listening to this podcast. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for having me. First and foremost, we're going to have to swap interviews and get you to come on my podcast. So speaking of that, I do have a podcast as well. It is called the Yours Julie Podcast. I'm assuming any of your listeners who are listening right now, they like podcasts. So come hang out with me there. If you want to listen to that TikTok trend takedown, it was some episode in the summer, probably somewhere in the one thirties, I would imagine. Um, other places you can connect with me are on TikTok, obviously, and Instagram. My handles there are the same. It is just my name at Claire Tuning. And if you want to learn more about how to work with me, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have a self-paced online course as well. Um, people can go to my website. It is just clairetuning.com and all of the information will be there. Yay. Well, thanks again for coming on. Of course. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you again here next week.